Welcome. You have found Get Ready for Sunday, a weekly podcast previewing the scripture readings for the Sunday Masses in Catholic churches on November 28, 2021, the first Sunday of Advent and the beginning of a new church year. For the next year, we'll be in year C, the last of the three years in the church's cycle of scripture readings and seasons of prayer. During this year, the Roman Catholic churches around the world will be reading primarily from the Gospel of Luke. These facts bring up three topics that deserve some further explanation. First, the church's three-year liturgical cycle. Second, the season of Advent itself. And third, the Gospel of Luke and its place in the New Testament. But have no fear. I'm not going to go into any of those topics in depth today, mostly because it's a holiday weekend in the United States, and I'm already later than I've ever been in posting this episode. It's the Sunday Scriptures, just the Sunday Scriptures today. If you'd like to have your eyes on the Scripture readings as I talk about them, simply go to the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops website. It's USCCB. Dot .org in the top navigation bar select prayer and worship and from the menu that drops down from there choose daily readings calendar scroll down to the date for the mass and click in i am deacon mark from corpus christi catholic church in tucson arizona i'm not here to preach at you i'm here to share some background and context information gathered from the work of actual scripture scholars and thoughtful commentators. But fair warning, it is all sifted through my own tiny brain. I do have to say at least that the season of Advent is the beginning of every church year and is our season of preparation for the celebration of the birth of Jesus, always on December 25th. The length of Advent varies from year to year since it starts four Sundays before Christmas Day. The first two Sundays in the season allude to the risen Christ, the return of the risen Christ. The final two Sundays anticipate the birth of Jesus. The Gospel of Luke deserves more than just a cursory summary. So, sometime during December, I'll post an episode devoted entirely to it. I won't predict exactly when I'll do that, but I will get it done before the end of this calendar year. The general theme for this first Sunday of Advent is hope, specifically hope in times of great difficulty and uncertainty. This Sunday, the Gospel, which, as usual, is the centerpiece of the scriptural message of the day, is decidedly apocalyptic in style. We'll start with the first reading, a passage from the book of the prophet Jeremiah, which is as follows. The days are coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and Judah. In those days, in that time, I will raise up for David a just shoot. He shall do what is right and just in the land. In those days, Judah shall be safe, and Jerusalem shall dwell secure. This is what they shall call her the Lord our justice. This comes from the middle section of Jeremiah's prophetic book, 
Jeremiah, you'll recall, is a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judea. At the time of Jeremiah's life, the Judean kings had not been faithful in keeping their covenant with God. Specifically, they had allowed and participated in the worship of Canaanite pagan god. They have not followed God's law concerning the welfare of widows and orphans. And perhaps most egregious, they have adopted the Canaanite practice of child sacrifice. With Jerusalem in this state of apostasy and corruption, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Jerusalem, sacked and destroyed the city, including the great temple, and took almost all Judeans into captivity. However, God was not finished with his people. Despite their unwillingness to keep their part of the covenant, God will not allow the sin of this people to be the end of their story. He promises, through Jeremiah, that after 70 years, they will be restored as a people. They will come back into their land and they will be able to rebuild the great temple. This is a message of hope given for a displaced and dejected population. The Judeans are enslaved. Their lives are difficult, but it will come to an end. As part of this hopeful prophecy, Jeremiah alludes not only to the end of the exile, but to the coming of the Messiah. In those days, in that time, I will raise up for David a just shoot. He shall do what is right and just in the land. Jeremiah had prophesied about the Babylonian exile. Once it became a reality, it seemed evident that the lineage of Davidic kings had come to an end. The prophet Isaiah had foretold the long-awaited Messiah would come from the house of David. But the lineage of the Davidic kings had become so corrupt that the Babylonians easily cut down the family tree, which is metaphorical for the entire Jewish nation. However, when you chop down a tree, if you do not remove the stump, eventually a shoot or a branch will grow from it. If left to grow, that branch will grow into a new tree. That is exactly what Jeremiah, on behalf of God, prophesies. It is an apocalyptic promise beyond the vision of the people. It is a cause for being encouraged. In fact, this section of Jeremiah is sometimes called his book of consolation. The phrase, the Lord our justice, refers to Jerusalem's new name once this consoling vision comes into being. Justice will return to the city that was so unjustly ruled by corruption within and then destroyed by forces from outside. From the stump, the remnant of a once powerful and influential nation under King David and his son Solomon, a just shoot will grow. Of course, beginning with the earliest followers of the risen Jesus, Christians view the new branch or shoot, depending on your translation, as Jesus. The theme of waiting in faith-filled hope continues with the psalm response taken from the 25th psalm. This is a wisdom poem. In keeping with the wisdom tradition, it is about making a choice between the way of folly 
and the way of wisdom. The psalmist is praying out of trust to be able to see the way of wisdom. To lift up his soul is his act of honoring and eternally trusting in the God of Israel. With the refrain only at the beginning and the end, here is the responsorial psalm for this Mass. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Your ways, O Lord, make known to me. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and for you I wait all the day. Good and upright is the Lord. Thus he shows sinners the way. He guides the humble to justice and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are kindness and constancy toward those who keep his covenant and his decrees. The friendship of the Lord is with those who fear him and his covenant for their instruction. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. The middle stanza in this contains another message of hope for those who might be fallen away from observing the divine laws as they live their own lives. It assures all that God not only shows mercy and kindness to the upright, but also shows sinners the way. <laughs> we do have hope. Too often we use the shorthand of referring to the angry, vengeful God of the Old Testament. That is an inaccurate portrayal. Our second reading comes from St. Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. The church at Thessalonica, or Thessalonica, was one of the earliest that St. Paul founded with Silas on their second missionary journey. Thessalonica is located in modern-day Greece and has a seaport on the Aegean Sea. Paul and Silas spent only about three weeks preaching in the local Jewish synagogue when they were forced to leave by a mob of Thessalonian Jews who had become outraged at them and drove them out of the synagogue. It was newly converted Thessalonians who hid Paul and Silas from the mob. Eventually, they made their way to Berea, a city about 45 miles distant. In Berea, Paul found a much more receptive audience. But the mobs would find Paul and Silas in Berea, and they were forced to take a ship bound for Athens. They would later return to Corinth, where Paul wrote his first and second letters to the Thessalonians, sending encouragement to those followers of the way of Jesus who remained in the city. In the segment we have today, we are reading first Paul addressing the members of the faith community in the form of a prayer on their behalf. As the selection ends, he switches into a direct exhortation for each one of them. The reading is as follows. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we have for you, so as to strengthen your hearts, to be blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his holy ones. Amen. Finally, brothers and sisters, we earnestly ask and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you should conduct yourselves to please God, and as you are conducting yourselves, 
you do so even more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. This reading is thematically linked to the gospel. In the passage, Paul is encouraging these Thessalonian converts to be receptive to God's grace, which will, as he prays, strengthen your hearts to be blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his holy ones. Paul also is using apocalyptic language to urge the Thessalonians to prepare for the coming of Jesus, and by extension he urges us to do the same. He exhorts them to live and remain always in readiness for the return of the risen Christ, the parousia. How are they, and we, supposed to do that? Precisely by remaining true to the conduct they have been taught, we have been taught, by the missionaries. They are to love as Jesus loved. And there is always another level of love, of that love of Jesus, that we can aspire to, to which we can find our way. Do so even more, is Paul's phrase. To do so even more is always available when one is following an infinite, generative love. If viewed through the lens of embodied spirituality, they and we can be, and are to be, instruments of making that great parousia at least partially evident in the here and now. Sunday's Gospel passage is Luke's account of what we have called in the past the Olivetan Discourse. We read Mark's version of this discourse just two weeks ago. So you might be wondering, why is the church moving backwards and giving us this passage again? I'll read the passage, then look more closely at it. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on earth nations will be in dismay perplexed by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will die of fright in anticipation of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these signs begin to happen, stand erect, raise your heads, because your redemption is at hand. Beware that your hearts do not become drowsy from carousing and drunkenness and the anxieties of daily life, and that day catch you by surprise like a trap. For that day will assault everyone who lives on the face of the earth. Be vigilant at all times, and pray that you have the strength to escape the tribulations that are imminent, and to stand before the Son of Man. This scene gives us an account of the final discourse Jesus has with his disciples before his passion begins. All three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have a version of this discourse. Unique to Luke's account, is that Luke does not tell us the location of this discussion. 
The portion we read at this Mass consists entirely of Jesus offering a picture of the end time, how that will appear, and the necessary state of attentiveness and readiness that his disciples must maintain. True to the apocalyptic literary form, the opening images are dramatic. They're cataclysmic attention-getters, at least for us, as we live our generally comfortable and usually secure lives. But for the majority of the first audience of this gospel, it comes off more like, yep, you are describing our living conditions, all right. It's important to focus on the payoff to this kind of opening. This is a message of hope and encouragement. The terrible stuff goes away. The bad guys lose. There is a new, untarnished, and fully trustworthy foundation for our lives. But when these signs begin to happen, stand erect and raise your heads, because your redemption is at hand. Now, as we discussed earlier, Advent is in two parts, the coming of Christ at the end of time and commemorating his first arrival with his birth. When we look at the selected readings for this Sunday, we actually see both themes. Jeremiah prophesies about Jesus' incarnation, which we call Christmas. And the Gospel reading is about the second coming of Christ at the end of time. Like last week, we again see Jesus referring to himself in the third person with the messianic title, Son of Man, and the heavenly image of the cloud. Unique to this account of the end times, Luke's Jesus drops in a very specific warning about behaviors to avoid in order to survive the imminent tribulations. Beware that your hearts do not become drowsy from carousing and drunkenness and the anxieties of daily life, and that day catch you by surprise, like a trap. It is important to notice a couple of things here. First, Luke, like Jesus, tends to be tough on the greedy rich. You might recall that what we call in Matthew the Sermon on the Mount, in Luke's Gospel, is the Sermon on the Plain. And whereas Matthew calls out specific people who are blessed, blessed, happy, fortunate, Luke includes corresponding woes. You are blessed who do this, but woe to you who do that. This passage today is another example of that same sensibility. Really? Uh, yeah, really. Understand that the vast majority of those who lived in Luke's time were surviving at a subsistence level. Staying alive from day to day was their chief occupation. Carousing and drunkenness were neither on their day planners nor in their budget. This sentence has a distinct tone of being aimed at those whom these days we call the one percenters. Then, like today... As the poor and marginalized spend their time on basic survival, a segment of the privileged spend their time trying to secure and increase their own level of privilege. Second, remember that Luke is writing this after the sacking of Jerusalem and the destruction of the great temple by the Romans. In chapter 21, 
In this same discourse, Luke's Jesus predicts the fall of Jerusalem. But as Luke writes, those events have already happened. They happened in the years 66 to 70. Scholars have estimated that Luke wrote his gospel no earlier than the year 80. So the predictions that Luke records Jesus making are, in fact, events that have already taken place as he writes the account, and his readers read of those predictions. It is noteworthy also that Luke emphasizes life's anxieties as distractions to be avoided. I think most of us would agree that drunkenness and carousing can hurt relationships, put distance between Christ and the carouser. But I think it is helpful to hear Jesus also tell us that allowing ourselves to become overwhelmed with life's anxieties also hurts relationship. Think Martha working up a sweat in the kitchen while her sister Mary listens attentively at the feet of Jesus. As we begin our preparation to celebrate the coming of Jesus the Christ, the Word made flesh, we are told to get ready and stay ready for the return of the Christ. But how? I like Paul's phrase, we are to be blameless in holiness. That can sound a little obscure. Eleanor Stump is one of the more plain-spoken scholars of Scripture and theology that I have come across. I believe she is now at the University of St. Louis, a fine Jesuit institution. She has explained what it is to be blameless in holiness this way. These are her words. You can keep all the laws of your land and still be a real jerk. And the same holds true for the moral law. You can be a priggishly righteous jerk, too. Something more than having a great record for keeping the laws is necessary to be ready for the Lord. That more is love. It doesn't matter how moral or legal your conduct is otherwise. To be blameless in holiness, then, takes being loving. And being loving is what makes us ready for the return of the Lord. I like that. And it's a good place to stop. Thank you for clicking in. In the meantime, I hope you're able to celebrate with your own community this weekend, either in person or online or in spirit. And I pray that God will bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.